Char Chat is a member of the Teej.fm network from WTJU. To learn more, visit Teej.fm. That's T-E-E-J dot F-M. Hello, everybody. It's Monday, May 6th, 2019. I'm Caitlin Flay. And I'm Tanner Green. And you're listening to Chart Chat, your weekly guide to the past week of pop singles hitting the US and UK charts. Hey, everyone. I'm so, so sorry for dropping off the face of the earth for the past few weeks. I've missed you. I'm sure you've missed me. But more importantly, how is the man that held down the fort while I was gone? I'm good. I certainly missed you, and I'm glad you're back, even if the week of your return is not the most exciting in terms of chart debuts, but I'm doing well. I'm doing well. That's so good. I'm a little bit nervous because I am going to try and remain on the positive side, but there is a lot to be not positive about this week. And we are going to start at the very bottom with the very, very rough transition from kitschy song to mainstream that's blueface french montana and little tj at 89 with slide continuing on the roller coaster of sadness at 87 we have medellin madonna featuring maluma before i let go by beyonce debuts at number 77 and number 75 we have a game of thrones inspired soundtrack and florence and the machine sings jenny of old stones A little bit of a late bloomer on the UK side. I believe we saw this on the US side a few weeks ago. We have Clout, Cardi B and Offset at number 64. At number 49, we have another Game of Thrones inspired track. And that's Power is Power by SZA, The Weeknd, and Travis Scott. At number 39, we have a song from the live action Pikachu movie. (laughs) That's Carry On by Kaigo and Rita Ora. No Diet cracks the top 30 this week at number 27 by Digga T. And our highest entry, and this is not a joke, people. At number 24, we have Lil Dicky and Co. with the song Earth. Tanner, can you save us or are you just going to continue on the roller coaster of sadness? There will be very little saving going on, at least for the immediate future. Because we start at number 100 where Taylor Swift is back featuring Brendan Urie and their song, ME, in all caps, with an exclamation mark. At number 96, there's NLE, Choppa, with his song, Flow. Love Someone, by Brett Eldridge, debuts at number 93. At number 90, we've got the aforementioned Slide, by French Montana, featuring Blueface and Lil TJ. At number 75, we've got Beyonce's version of Before I Let Go, from her album Homecoming. And in the top 20, it's Lil Dicky, at number 17, with Earth. But before we get to that abomination, Caitlin, what's the other song that you're going to whet our appetites with? I have chosen Power is Power. This is a stellar collaboration opportunity between SZA, The Weeknd, and Travis Scott. But first, we're going to get into a little bit of the history. Okay, the track comes from the album 
For the Throne, music inspired by the HBO series Game of Thrones. Great title, guys. And that was released by Columbia Records on April 26th, 2019. The album is kind of like a companion soundtrack inspired by Game of Thrones, and that's very similar to the Black Panther soundtrack that we've mentioned a couple times on the podcast. And that one was released last year by Kendrick Lamar and a bunch of his friends, if you recall. So some of the other big names on the soundtrack, in addition to SZA, The Weeknd, and Travis Scott, are Marin Morris, The Lumineers, Ellie Goulding, Ex Ambassadors, The National, this is where it gets weird, ASAP Rocky, Lil Peep, and finally, Mumford and Sons. Um, I'm going to just leave that there for you to digest. Let's listen to a clip of Power is Power before we sink our critical music skills into it. Once again, Power is Power, SZA, The Weeknd, Travis Scott. start with the lyrics. So the basic concept here is that The weekend is Jon Snow, character in Game of Thrones, SZA is Daenerys Targaryen, mother of dragons, and Travis Scott is the Night King. <sighs> I'm like struggling so hard with this because it's so uncomfortable. So the lyrics are supposed to kind of reflect the character's journeys over seven seasons, yada yada yada. I don't want to get into Game of Thrones talk on our podcast. But the only point I want to make with this one is that this song is severely wasteful. It's like when you buy fruit from the store or something and it sits on your counter until it's rotten and then you can't eat it anymore and you're like, wow, that was a waste of 75 cents. Great. Awesome. And you continue to do it. Power's power. So I watch Game of Thrones, but am I the show's biggest fan? Am I parked on the couch to watch every Sunday night? Absolutely not. Caitlin's most relevant comment of the episode, if you will. I have also read all the books. I feel like I'm kind of entitled to this irrelevant comment because I spent so many years reading thousands of pages only to be dished this cringy Game of Thrones soundtrack that's just kind of creeping into the charts. Like, I, I struggle with it because... Quite frankly, just because of the lyrics, I don't think that they are, I don't think that they're really saying much. And if you go back and listen to the whole song, especially SZA's verse, 
it's very confusing as to what she's saying, especially, like, even if you compare it to either the books or the, just the show. Anyway, there is a silver lining, folks. I always find one. Why I think this song's a waste is because the beat is so good. The instrumentals here have that Travis Scott genius behind them. I don't know, anything he touches kind of has this effect on my ears that I'm like, ooh, I like this one little part. Maybe I don't like the entire song, but I like a little bit of it. And that is the sub bass. It's kind of crackly and kind of functions as a kick drum during the transition from the chorus back to the verses. And I'm going to play a little bit clip of it for you so you know what I'm talking about. Okay, guys, but moral of the story here is that no matter how good that juicy sub bass is, you need to grit and bear the lyrics, such as, A knife in my heart couldn't slow me down, cause power's power and fire never goes out. <sighs> like, if The weekend could have been himself in this song, free of any Game of Thrones theme, oh, I feel like this song would be way, way higher than what it is now. Top 50. Also... I'd like to invite Game of Thrones fans to please email me if you feel differently. I really want to discuss this song with people who like it and who somehow gain something in terms of their experience of Game of Thrones or, I don't know, makes you feel good. I'd really like to have a serious conversation about it. Last, last thing I'm going to say, it's just such a heck of a collaboration compared to all of the others on this soundtrack, and it's a heck of a beat. The melody is confused. It's about dumb TV characters. I, I've, this is repetitive. I'm repeating myself a lot and making the same point a lot of different ways, guys. But I just think these artists sound uncomfortable in this situation. The elements aren't smooth or maybe as smooth as they could be. The production's kind of all over the place with some shining moments such as that sub bass. That's just not something I would expect to hear. When I see the name SZA, The Weeknd, and Travis Scott, it just doesn't really crack up to the names. Plus, SZA, The Weeknd, and Travis Scott are quite literally their own characters in real life, so I don't like the characterception going on. Tanner, do you have any other things to add? I don't actually, and that's because you did a really good job sort of encapsulating my indifference, or at least mixed feelings on the song. On the positive, it's that beat. That's kind of the beginning and the end of what really compels me about the song. I know you and I are both admitted bass junkies, and this song has plenty of bass. It's got a really sharp attack that just kind of bowls you over, but the song itself is kind of a non-entity, as far as I can tell. The melody's kind of forgettable. As you mentioned, the lyrics are pretty unsatisfying. So it works as kind of a mood piece, I suppose, just in terms of something you can play in the background. Again, we've talked about that sort of listening approach before, but... As a song, per se, I don't think there's really that much to it beyond, again, the bass. Another song that there's not very much to. We're going to transition and talk about Earth. We promised it at the beginning, and it is happening now. This is another super cringy song, but unlike our last uh, discussion, this song does not have a great beat as a silver lining. Okay, Lil Dicky's latest, Earth. Lil Dicky, also known as David Andrew Bird, he's a 31-year-old American rapper and comedian. His debut album, Professional Rapper, came out less than four years ago, 
So we might call him a late bloomer in terms of his music career. And I didn't know this before this week, but Lil Dicky is kind of local for us. He went to the University of Richmond and graduated summa cum laude in 2010. Then he got a job with an advertising agency in San Francisco, and he worked in account management until one of his YouTube videos went viral. I forget what it was about, and I forget the title of it, but I believe he reimagined some kind of report he had to deliver as a parodied rap song. Great. I'd also like to throw in my two cents and claim that the late bloomer status isn't that surprising given how immature and crass his lyrics are. And kind of the horrifying thing about the song is that he's spreading crass humor to pop music elites that I will list after we listen to a clip. So once again, this is Earth, Lil Dicky. We love the Earth, it is our planet. We love the Earth, it is our home. Hi, I'm a baboon. I'm like a man, just less advanced, and my anus is huge. So if you are completely bowled over by the star-studded lineup you just heard and just can't stop yourself from searching the title Earth Lil Dicky in YouTube, you'll find a 7-minute animated video that has about 80 million views and counting. In that clip, you heard Justin Bieber, Ariana Grande, Halsey, Zach Brown, Brendan Urie, Haley Steinfeld, Wiz Khalifa, Snoop Dogg, and Kevin Hart. I kind of only have questions here, guys. There's not really, like, quite frankly, not much for me to comment on at all. First of all, ew, that is a question. Second of all, who is Lil Dicky's audience? Who is his audience? Part of me wants to respond children, but that's horrific. But also, what adult would find this actually funny or what adult would put this on in any context? Tanner, can you think of any context in which someone would be like, yeah, let's turn on Earth by Lil Dicky? No. <laughs> I had to think about it, but no. I'm going to say no. Final answer. Thank you. So I don't understand. So I come from this background of like pop music and its utility, right? Like I always try and look at what kind of work it does for me or others I'm baffled. I am completely baffled. Okay. I really hope the reason that this topped both lists of chart debuts last week was because of the star-studded lineup, not the lyrics, not whatever beat was going on. <sighs> I'm just, I'm very, I'm very confused. And I, I, admittedly, like, I'm a little bit sad, Tanner. Is this what 
the charts are doing now, it's just kitschy. And it gets a lot of streams. I personally think that things like this, or even things like Tatiana, Blueface, or I'm blanking now on other, like, huge viral things, but could Billboard and could the UK official charts re-look at this equation that they have made, right? So this doesn't happen. I just, I, this is a cry for help for those of you that listen who are in positions of power at Billboard. Please, please do something. Please do something. Tanner, if you have anything left to say about this, please say your piece. If not, please take take it away. <laughs> yeah, so it's wretched. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't think most people would disagree with that. Probably. I think to your point about who this is for. I think. I think anyone who clicks on the YouTube link to watch this video is doing it for the really brief novelty of oh that famous person is an animal oh Lil Yachty is HPV <laughs> oh. Snoop Dogg is weed, lol, of course he is, hashtag relatable, like, I don't, uh, that's kind of all it is, and so in one sense, it seems like missing the point to be irritated by how bad of a song it is, but on the other hand, I'm irritated by how bad of a song it is, and I try not to do this very much, but I'm gonna bring in someone else's words to do the dunking on this song for me. Yes! So there's a really good review of this on Pitchfork, and I'm just going to read a quote or two because I would be lying if I said there wasn't a certain joy in laughing at how bad this song is. Quote, The terrible song has this very specific canned quality to it, as if everyone was committing to this half-baked bit under threat of blackmail. It sounds less like a charity single and more like a theme to a down-market Disney clone made explicitly to launder money for an offshore criminal enterprise. <laughs> One more quote. Like the crisis it describes, Earth is something preventable, avoidable, created by humans, and emboldened by a vast network of power. It mimics the intractable march of man-made disaster. To sit in the ultraviolet rays of the song and watch its incomprehensibly dumb videos to feel our planet warming half a degree in seven minutes. I think that's probably all there is to say about Earth. Ah! Sorry, I'm like dying. <laughs> Sometimes you just need to read a really good pan, and I think that's a really well-written pan of a really terrible song. Oh, Tanner. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm going to rescue us. We're going to move on to one of the few silver linings this week, although I'm going to take a slightly different approach to it. Talking about Beyonce, talking about... Before I Let Go, debuting at number 75 this week. However, we're not actually going to listen to that particular song because it's not super representative of its source. So that song comes from Beyonce's live album Homecoming, which itself is sourced from her two headlining performances at Coachella last year. If you're listening to this podcast on a regular basis, you are likely familiar with at least the reception of those performances last year, which was, in a word, breathless. Beyonce had this huge brass band behind her in homage to the sorts of bands you find at HBCUs. You've got a variety of spoken interludes from influential feminists and black civil rights activists. And on a musical front, her setlist is jam-packed full of interpolations of and allusions to songs from a really wide swath of black musical cultures. 
If you want to read more on the reference front, there's a really good piece on Mike.com by Natalasia Whaley that compiles just 32 of these references. I'll put a link in the show notes. Worth checking out. And in the wake of Beyonce's performances, critics immediately just hailed her work as musically dazzling and a vital piece of advocacy for the value of black culture and black women in particular. As Rutgers professor Brittany Cooper wrote in a piece for Cosmopolitan last year, quote, Beyonce's performance holds within it what political scientist James Scott has famously called a hidden transcript that is distinct from the public transcript. The public transcript of this performance is about Queen Bee coming into her kingdom and giving dance anthems for days to a willing, exuberant audience of supplicants come fans. But the hidden transcript celebrates the power and purpose of black institutions and satiates, even if momentarily, a heightened black cultural longing for the safety, familiarity, and possibility of a mythic black homeland like Wakanda, the uncolonized black utopia in the Black Panther comics and movie. End quote. That's a long quote, I realize, but I'm also going to put the link to that article in the show notes. Uh, it's really compelling reading and speaks to an angle of this performance that I'm not super well-equipped to speak to. But what I am super well-equipped to speak to is to cut to the chase and say, oh my goodness, this live album is absolutely everything. It is sensational. And that live album actually has climbed since its debut, which we don't see a ton in the album's chart these days. Last week, it debuted at number seven on the Billboard 200, and then it actually gained in performance, the highest gain in performance of the week, and is now at number four for the current chart week. There's also a Netflix concert film in coordination with the live album that I have not watched yet. End of semester obligations have kind of prevented me from doing that, but extremely excited to... And I mentioned earlier that the homecoming track hitting the Hot 100 isn't actually representative, and that's because it's a studio song that's just kind of tacked on as a bonus track at the end. It's a cover of the R&B band Maze's 1981 hit Before I Go. So, again, not listening to a clip of that, and now you know because I really want to center our discussion on the live performance. And speaking of which, I want to focus in specifically on that marching band that I mentioned because they are such a key part of what makes Beyonce's performance so incredibly thrilling, even divorced from the visuals. So on one hand, you've got songs that already featured a brass section on their studio incarnations. And for those songs, the band makes those arrangements even more dynamic. For the sake of time, I won't play the studio versions of those songs, but here's a little bit of one of my personal favorites, Countdown. Also, in addition to the brass section, pay attention to the drummer who is tearing it up in this clip. Caitlin and I are both a little thrilled. I kind of headbanging every time I listen to that performance. And I already loved the original version, and this just takes it up to another level. But then on the other hand, in this set list, you've got songs that don't even originally have horns. And for those cases, the performances on Homecoming here bring a totally new perspective on the songs while still evoking the spirit of the originals. Uh, for an example of that, I'm going to assume most listeners are probably familiar with the studio version. Here's an excerpt of Beyonce's performance of Drunken Love. Be all night, 
As a former tuba player, yes, I played tuba in middle school. It was great. I kind of miss it. It makes me so happy to hear a song and a performance where tubas and low brass in general get their moment in the spotlight like they do on this performance. Ugh, it's so good. Okay, so I'm running long here uh, for obvious reasons, so I'll just conclude. Beyonce's singing, no surprise, and her rapping, no surprise, are as just impeccable as ever. Her rapport with the crowd is really incredible. And again, I'm picking up on this without even seeing the visuals, so I'm just completely chomping at the bit to watch Homecoming when I finally get the chance, which should be, I'm hoping, sometime this coming week. So stay tuned. Caitlin, what you thinking? So admittedly, I'm going in a little bit blind on this one because I have not had the time to listen to the entire live album or watch Homecoming on Netflix. However... This rocks so much. Beyonce is incredible. I was dancing in the studio. Marching season is coming up for our high school bands. And I am going to see if it's within my power to create a Beyonce-themed show for the coming year. (laughs) We shall see. Uh, That's kind of all I have to say. I mean, how many times can you say Beyonce is literally a goddess, you know? Couldn't have said it better myself. And so we're going to pivot. We're going to go back into the studio from the Coachella stage. We're going to talk about what is probably the biggest chart debut of the week, even though it is only down at number 100. We're talking about Taylor Swift featuring Brendan Urie and their song, Me. Again, all caps, exclamation mark. And given the fame of Miss Swift, there's not really a whole lot I have to offer in the way of prefacing this one. As I mentioned, Me debuts all the way down at number 100, and the only reason for that is because radio stations have a different tracking week than Billboard's other metrics, so it has not enjoyed a full week of release just yet in terms of Billboard chart tabulations. And for listeners at home, if you feel like being conspiratorial, maybe we can speculate that that was intentional because Swift and her label are trying to intentionally set a record by jumping from number 100 to number 1. Kelly Clarkson's the previous record holder for that. I believe it's My Life Would Suck Without You. Went from like 94, 96 to number one, but Swift gunning for those records. But regardless, this is Taylor Swift's first single from her upcoming seventh album. Doesn't have a title yet. I'm sure we'll talk about it once we know more. And this album's going to fall on the heels of 2017's perpetually underrated, yes, I said it, reputation. And as we listen to a clip, keep that album's lead single in mind. Uh, Again, look what you made me do. Once again, Taylor Swift featuring Brendan Urie, me. I promise that you'll never find another like me. I know that I'm a handful, baby. Uh, I know I never think before I jump. And you're the kind of guy that ladies want. And there's a lot of cool chicks out there. I know that I would psycho on the phone. I never leave well enough alone. And trouble's gonna follow. Never find another like me. Ooh, 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 ooh. 
I know you never get just what you see, but I will never fall you, baby. This is kind of rough. I understand the need for a tonal reset because reputation was very tongue-in-cheek, very dramatic, and people were kind of lukewarm on it. But I don't think the song had to be so boring. Right from the get-go, it opens with a bit of vocoder that feels like a sort of shameless nod to Delicate, which was the only single from Reputation that had any sort of substantial, sustained radio play. The lyrics here are really clumsy. I'm sure Caitlin's going to tear into them in a bit. That they'd read kind of a satire if the music didn't sound so cloying and obnoxiously earnest. And finally, it's sort of one of the things that everyone is joking about online. In a long tradition of Taylor Swift singles with cringe-worthy bridges, the most awkward turn of phrase yet might be, spelling is fun. And Swift performed the song recently. Uh, she debuted it at the Billboard Music Awards, and she was in fine form. Both her and Yuri did really well. There was some cool staging with people twirling around on umbrellas. But she really was not doing herself any favors because before she came out on stage, you had this drum line dressed all in pink that came in, and it was a little reminiscent of a certain far superior Coachella performance that was also using marching band instrumentation. Not a great association if you can't live up to the thing that you're referencing. But I'm trying to take this in perspective. I think we should all be pretty used to the fact that any lead Taylor Swift single is going to be kind of an outlier and something intentionally provocative. So I'm not ringing any alarm bells for this album quite yet. It's just sort of ironic because look what you made me do as this sort of hyper grim serious bit of provocation is actually a lot more fun than something that's trying to be cheery like me is. Caitlin? <sighs> I actually, before I get into this, I might push back a little bit on uh, what you said about that we should be used to the fact by now that any lead Taylor Swift single is going to be provocative, because I wish that I didn't have to get used to that. I wish literally, <laughs> like, just go back to writing songs like Teardrops on My Guitar. Like, girl, you have that in you. You have that skill. Anyway. Let's get into it. I'll start with spelling is fun. That line literally made me want to walk outside and get struck by lightning. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Going back to Tanner's previous solo episode, Fergie did it better, or Fergie deserves better, if I recall the title correctly. Like, if you're gonna spell, just spell. Don't tell me you're gonna spell and then spell. Am I an idiot? No. Okay, next. Lyrics, Tanner was correct. I am going to rip them apart, but only one small part. This is in the chorus. I'm the only one of me. Baby, that's the fun of me. Like, do you have nothing else that you like about yourself other than the fact that you're the only version of yourself? Second, she follows it up with, you're the only one of you. Baby, that's the fun of you. No, that's not a compliment. It's actually kind of mean. Like, yeah, you're, you guys are individuals. Sorry, I'm getting I'm getting angrier than I thought I was gonna get. Whew, okay. Uh, the drum line's weird. I, I I'm guessing that that is some kind of Brendan Urie effect that is occurring in this song. If you've listened to Brendan Urie, is the lead singer of Panic at the Disco, and I mean horns, strings, general sort of bombast, totally. Yeah, but then this drum line, like it's an experiment, and I'm not okay. I'm not okay. Okay, I'm. 
also this is something that I need to work on, but I refuse to. So I'm generally really not over Brendan Urie sounding exactly like Patrick Stump of Fallout Boy, who did it first and better. And there's just this real irrational resentment in my heart for Yuri because of that. And like I said, I'm not going to work to change it. Tanner, I'm going to toss this back over to you because <laughs> I was just really mean and I don't like to be mean. Just think about Beyonce. Just think about Homecoming. Uh, there's no pick of the week this week for kind of obvious reasons. It was sort of a doozy of a week. But we're glad Caitlin is back. And thanks so much for listening to Chart Chat. If you want to check out this past week's chart debuts, look at the Spotify playlist in the show notes. If you have any questions, feedback, corrections, get in touch with us, chartchatcast at gmail.com. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram at chartchatcast. If you go on the Twitter right now, you can see a little playlist and image I slapped together of what I thought were the best songs and albums of last month. There was a lot of really good country. Let's talk about it. Reba McIntyre, George Strait. Aaron Lewis, the former lead singer of Stained. No, I'm not kidding. It's all pretty good. (laughs) And it'd also be pretty good if you rated and reviewed us on iTunes or wherever you get your audio content. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks to Coronation Media for our cover art and intro theme. Thanks to Teej.fm for having us on the network. You can check them out at teej.fm. Thanks again for listening to Chart Chat. I'm Tanner Green. And I'm Caitlin Flay. And we will catch you next week.